Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Pastor Brett. I want to welcome you all here today. Welcome everybody that's watching online today. Welcome. So glad you could come. We're just currently in a series here called Let's Talk About It. Let's Talk About It. And the idea with this series is that we are open to talk about issues and hopefully help provide some answers for, for issues that, that the church typically doesn't like to talk about, doesn't talk about, doesn't feel comfortable talking about, um, or, or maybe there's some confusion or there's some discord around the issue within the church. And, and when I say the church, I'm not necessarily talking about King's Corner, but I'm talking about the body of Christ, the whole church, all, of, all, of, all Christians together as one family. That, that's the church I'm talking about. Our theme verse for 1 Peter, our theme verse for this series is 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. It says, instead you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Always be ready to explain it. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. I think that's the part that sometimes we forget. And that's the part that we need to always remember. We're always ready to give an answer, but we're going to do it in a gentle and respectful way. Last week we talked about gender and sexuality. And uh, it, was, uh, it was a little bit heavy, I think. But, uh, <clears throat> but we talked about the hope that we all have in Jesus Christ, that all of us can be born again, all of us can be made brand new spiritually, that all of us can be the person that God created us to be. Amen? Amen. And so that was, uh, it was a little bit heavy last week. Today I thought we'd maybe talk about something a little more light and a little more fun. So we're going to talk about divorce <laughs> and remarriage. And yes, I, uh, I am fully aware of the irony that last night our church as a connect night celebrated Valentine's Day, and now this morning we're talking about divorce. <laughs> so that's nice. <laughs> um, I think the first thing I want to do, though, before we get into this is just kind of acknowledge anyone in this room that's, that's been divorced. Um, I know it might be a little bit awkward for you when we're talking about this topic, Maybe you cringed a little bit when I just announced what we're talking about or when you saw the online bulletin this week. And, and I just want to assure you today that if, if that's you, that, um, that I will not dishonor you today. I will not dishonor you today. And so you don't have to worry about that. Um, secondly, you know, I really think this is, this is one of those issues that that many Christians, particularly Christians who are not divorced, um, we get a little self-righteous about this issue. And I think we're, we're a little quick to pound the gavel and kind of make some unfair judgments towards divorced people. And, and so if you're here today, you're divorced, you've ever belonged to a church or been subjected to a Christian that has made unfair judgments about you, that's shamed you, that's ostracized you because you got divorced, I just want to say that I'm sorry. I'm deeply sorry. And 
that self-righteous attitude is, is not what we're about here at King's Corner Church. Would you agree with that? That, that someone who's divorced qualifies for God's love and grace as much as anyone else in this room. And we don't believe that your identity is determined by your divorce. Okay, that you're so much more than someone who just got divorced. How many of you are so glad that our identity is not based on what we do? But our identity, hallelujah. But our identity is completely founded in Jesus and what Jesus did for us. And so um, I decided to, to tackle this in two parts. I actually originally planned to just tackle this in one. Uh, but today in part one, I want to really look at what does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage and hopefully answer some of these these tough questions. Um, does God allow divorce? Can a Christian get divorced? Can a Christian get remarried if they're divorced? Can you marry someone that's divorced? Does God honor those vows and that marriage? What about abuse? Where does abuse fall in with, fit in with uh, divorce and remarriage and that kind of thing? And so we're going to tackle some of those tough questions today. And then the second part of this, which I really would have liked to have included today, but we would just be here for a long time, um, is I want to talk about how to divorce-proof our marriages. Divorce-proof our marriages, okay? And so we're going to talk about that on March the 5th. Next Sunday, uh, February 26th, I'm going to be in Estevan. I'm going to be preaching in Estevan. Um, Estevan, our Church of God there in Estevan. They've been without a pastor for about a year. And uh, some of you met Bishop Hasmatali last week, Pastor Larry. Uh, he's put me on a preaching rotation with some other men. Uh, so there's going to be three more Sundays uh, before June that I'm going to be in Estevan preaching. So I'm just letting you know that. Um, and... I'm very excited, though, for, for you for next week. Pastor Mandy is going to be preaching next week. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I don't ever get that response, but I appreciate that for Mandy, Pastor Mandy, I guess. Um, anyway, but uh, it's going to be really good. It's going to be really good, but even, even better than Pastor Mandy being here. Uh, the Holy Spirit's going to be here next week. And, and so there you go. And, uh, and so I encourage you to all come for that. Okay, are we ready to go? All right, let's pray. God, I just thank you so much for today. I thank you so much, God, for what you've already been doing. And, and God, we just, we just pray right now that your word is going to be like that double-edged sword, that it's going to cut through um, lies today in Jesus' name. It's going to cut through strongholds. It's going to cut through wrong thinking patterns that we might have built up in our mind today, Lord. And we just declare that the truth of your word is going to set us free in Jesus' name. And God, I just pray that we're going to have a trust. I just feel like we need to pray that we're going to trust you that, that you're, you're like that parent that sets boundaries for their kids because you love them, not because you want to, to be mean, but because you, you love us. 
And so, God, I just pray that there's going to be a trust today for you and for your word today in Jesus' name, because you are such a good father, and you love us so much, and everything that you put in your word is because you love us. So we thank you for that, Lord, and I pray that we receive it the right way, and that we, we receive it because we, we trust you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 10. It says, When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Verse 4, Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So there are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. And then verse 7, why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I will tell that I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That is a harsh truth, isn't it? But how many of you know it's the truth? Because this is Jesus speaking. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay? I like verse 10. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. I get a kick out of that. The disciples are like, Jesus, you are for serious. And I'm thinking this might not be such a good idea anymore. Now, so let's understand what's, what's actually happening here. Jesus is being questioned by the Pharisees about divorce and remarriage, but, but they're not asking him these questions because they care what Jesus thinks, but they're, they're trying to trap him. They're trying to trap him. This, this is the same time when King Herod got divorced and remarried. And if you remember, John the Baptist spoke publicly against King Herod's marriage. What happened to John the Baptist? He got arrested and... Right? Means... He got killed, okay? And so the Pharisees are hoping the same for Jesus by asking him this question. The Pharisees also know <clears throat> what Moses says about divorce and remarriage, and I think it's important that we look at it in Deuteronomy 24, verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because she has found some uncleanness he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house. 
Okay, so, so there's two thoughts about that word uncleanness. There's a conservative thought and there's a more liberal thought. The conservative thought, and, and, and fewer people had this thought, that the only thing that would justify a divorce would be some shameful act of infidelity or unfaithfulness. Okay? But then there was a more liberal stance on that word uncleanness. Okay? And so the liberals, they took a broader view saying, anything a woman does that embarrasses her husband or displeases her husband um, would be considered uncleanness. So virtually giving any and all grounds for divorce. So breaking a dish... You know, snoring, burning supper. Okay, this was, the, this was the trending view, though. And this is why Herod got away with his divorce and remarriage. This is why. Okay, because of this, this was, this was the, the popular view. So they want to they wanna trap Jesus theologically. They want to trap him politically. They want Jesus to either speak against the law of Moses or speak against the popular public opinion and King Herod. Okay, so there was seemingly no way that Jesus could answer this right. But what Jesus does is he takes them back to the beginning. To God's original purpose for marriage. Originally, when God instituted marriage, there were no provisions for divorce. Right? But marriage was forever. Right? Marriage was it wasn't even until death because death wasn't even part of, of the plan back then. <laughs> it, it was just forever. Okay, as, as long as they both shall live actually meant as long as they both shall live. Okay, it, it was not as long as we get along, as long as we're, we're still in love, you know, as long as we both stay faithful, but it was forever. For two become one and no man was to separate what God puts together. This was God's original intent and standard of marriage. If you violated this, Jesus says you've committed adultery, which could have been punishable by death, right? Jesus' standards for marriage are the same as God's. They're incredibly high. Okay, we need to understand that first, that, that, that Jesus' standard, God's standard for marriage is very high. It was so high that the disciples were like, it's too high. You know, I don't think I'm even going to get married. Right? And, 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 and it is, it's a harsh truth, like I said. And there's no Hebrew and no Greek that can help us out of that. There's no message translation that can help us out of that. Okay? Okay, this, this is a harsh truth. Okay, so this was not to be entered into lightly, but this was a holy and sacred institution. Listen, this has not changed today. God's standard of marriage has not changed today. It is still... His will that marriage is as long as we both shall live, okay? But when challenged by the law of Moses in going back to Matthew chapter 19, when the Pharisees ask him, why did Moses say this then? Jesus acknowledges why Moses allowed that certificate of divorce, right? And what did he say? It was because of hard hearts. It was because of hard hearts. Hearts. It was because of the rebellious, selfish, sinful natures. And, and to me, this is where God's grace comes in. This is where God's grace comes in. That God gave a provision in the Old Testament for divorce because 
We live in a fallen world. Clearly, from what Jesus said, divorce is not God's best for anyone. God never intended for divorce. Divorce was never part of the plan. Divorce was necessary and permissible, but not God's perfect will. Okay? But God has grace for people living in a post-Genesis 3 world, a world that's full of rebellious and selfish hearts. And I believe that this is the same reason that Jesus gives us permission for divorce in this scripture in Matthew chapter 19. And look what he says in verse 9. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for what? Except for sexual immorality and marries another woman, commits adultery. Okay, the Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. Porneia, I meant to put it up there and I didn't. Porneia, where do you think, what, what English word do you think comes from porneia? Pornography, right? And so it is translated as fornication and adultery. Okay, fornication and adultery. Sexual morality is translated as fornication and adultery. So this answers the question, does God permit divorce? The answer is yes. Yes. Adultery is grounds for divorce. This is called an acceptive clause. Okay, this is one of the exceptions for divorce. And this is a very important life point I want us to, I want to say today and declare today is we can't take away rights from people that Jesus gives them. Jesus gives people a right to get divorced in this circumstance, period. Are you with me? Okay. We can't judge that. That is between God and Jesus and that person. Now the assumption with this scripture in Matthew 19 is that the person who chooses to get divorced may also remarry. Most Bible teachers and the common teaching among evangelical churches would agree that remarriage is part of this provision by how the text is written. Okay? I believe remarriage is part of this provision. That is my conviction. That's my conviction. Okay? I would challenge that you have your own conviction about this. Is that fair? Okay? Because, because someone else could read that same scripture and has and, and determine that, that there's no provisions for divorce. Okay? And so, um, and so I'm telling you that this is my conviction, this is what I believe, that remarriage is part of that provision. Okay? And then Paul... In 1 Corinthians 7, he gives another provision for divorce. 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 15. And remember, this is all God breathed. This is all the word of God. But if the unbeliever leaves, let it be so. The brother or the sister is not bound in such circumstances. God has called us to live in peace. Okay, so the circumstance is that, that uh, two unbelievers get married. And then one of those unbelievers comes to faith in Jesus Christ. Now you've got an unbeliever and a believer in marriage, okay? Or maybe, maybe uh, uh, there's a believer that married an unbeliever, okay? Um, and they get married, 
And the word is very clear here that if the unbeliever leaves the marriage or initiates a divorce, then the believer is permitted to get divorced. Okay? And again, my conviction, my interpretation based on this scripture and, and based on the words and the text is that believer is no longer bound to that covenant or to that person. And they're free to enter another marriage covenant with another person and that that is acceptable to God. Okay? And so this is another provision, another acceptive clause for divorce. And it's important to see here that the believer doesn't have the option to leave or initiate the divorce. The believer is called to be Jesus in that marriage and help that unbelieving spouse to come to a saving knowledge of faith in Jesus. And, and that's tough. That is a tough circumstance to be in. Okay? And, and I don't envy that person, but, but please be encouraged that if that's you today, that God never calls us to do something that he doesn't give us the power and the grace to do it. And I believe that there's an anointing for you today. There's an anointing for that believer to love their spouse in that circumstance. I want to address a third possible exception for divorce. So, so we've got Two, we've got two. The Bible's very clear. Okay, and I want to address a third possible exception, and that is abuse. Okay, lots of times people ask the question, well, what about abuse? Right, like where does abuse fit in? Okay, and it's important that we understand the Bible doesn't directly say that abuse is a provision for divorce. It doesn't directly say that abuse is a provision for divorce. I do think that you could make a real good case for it scripturally, though. Okay? Now, some people will interpret that abuse is connected with the abandonment in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Okay? And so, now, I believe most of us, hopefully all of us, can agree that abuse is sin. And abuse is a crime. And that no one should stay in an abusive situation. Can we agree on that today? And I know it's, it's easier said than done in many circumstances. It's easier to say to someone, you should just, just leave. I get that that's easier said than done. But I think we can agree that there needs to be separation. Okay? And that separation has been forced by the person that is oppressing and being violent and being abusive. That, that, does that make sense? Okay, so some people believe that when an abusive spouse has made choices that force that separation, that abuse then can become equivalent to the abandonment clause. That when the abuser forces that separation, they're essentially leaving the marriage and, and, and the exception for that abandonment clause, that, ex, that acceptive clause, comes into play. I, I, that makes sense to me. I can get on board with that, okay, idea. I, I see how they got there. I don't know that's exactly what the scripture's saying. 
but I can see how they got there, okay? And, and we got to be careful with this because we have opinions and we have strong opinions about this, don't we? Right? So we have to be careful about it. And so, yeah, I've got a strong opinion. I'm, I'm very much against abuse in a marriage. And so, yeah, it is easy for me to get on board with that. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Okay. Here's another example. In Jeremiah chapter 3 and verse 8, how many of you know that God got a divorce? That God divorced Israel. He said, then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel had committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a certificate of divorce. So in Jeremiah chapter 2, it starts to list some of the causes of that divorce. Jeremiah 2 verse 34 says, Also on your skirts is found the blood of the lives of the poor innocents. So this image represents the way the strong, the way that the strong has abused and oppressed the weak. And, and so the thought here is that if God gets to, if God divorces his covenant people for their abuse of the vulnerable, wouldn't that be grounds for divorce for someone who's being abused? Again, that makes sense to me. I can get on board with that. Okay? And there are many, many, many scriptures in the Bible that condemn abuse and those that are oppressive and violent. Is that true? Okay? So here's my concern. Here's my concern with this. My concern is, is that we need to, the word, the term abuse needs to be clearly defined. Okay, this is my concern with it. Okay, what constitutes abuse? When does abuse become provision for divorce? What's the line? Right, because if we're not careful, we can open the door to any and every grounds for divorce. She yelled at me. He criticized me in front of other people. When she grabbed my arm, she left a bruise. Right, and I'm not trying to, to minimize, I'm not trying to justify minor abuses. But there has to be a clear distinction for the kind of abuse that would qualify divorce because that word abuse has a very general very broad meaning and I think this is why the church has elders and pastors and counsel counselors right to help discern where this line is so please hear what I'm saying today okay for me personally I can justify oppressive and a violent abuse as a third provision for for divorce I could justify that. I can get on board with that. Um, to me, that's a clear violation of the sanctity of marriage, like crystal clear. But again, and I want to be clear when I say this, the Bible doesn't directly say that abuse is a provision for divorce. Okay? And so I don't know if I helped you at all with that. But basically is... This is my conviction. This is my conviction. Okay, and we need to have our own conviction of, of, of that. Does that make sense? This was tough. This was tough. 
Because even talking about the first two exemptions or provisions for divorce, the church doesn't agree on this. And I heard many different viewpoints and many different reasons why, right? And, and read and, and studied that and researched that. And so this is the conclusion that I've come to. This is, this is, the, this is my conviction. And, and so I'm not going to tell you definitely that abuse is a provision. For me, I, I, I can get on board with that. Are you guys, with, do you guys understand what I'm saying? Okay, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to be fair and I'm trying to be right and I'm trying to, be, be right with what the word actually says, okay? And so we need to be careful. Um, lots of people, when they talk about divorce, permitting divorce, right away we go to Malachi chapter 2 in verse 16, Malachi 2, 16. For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. God hates divorce. So many people hear this, they they. St- tell people this, they retweet this, and, and they, this is their argument that God doesn't permit divorce, but I think it's important to read all of verse 16. It says, For I hate divorce, says the Lord, the God of Israel. To divorce your wife is to overwhelm her with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. I think that changes the meaning of this scripture. So the scripture is not saying that God doesn't permit divorce, but God is simply making it very clear how he feels about divorce and why he feels that way. Divorce is cruel. He's not saying that people that get divorced or initiate divorce are cruel. He's saying divorce itself is cruel. God doesn't hate people that get divorced, but he hates the destructive impact that divorce has on people. In other words, God's saying, don't give your spouse grounds for divorce by being unfaithful to your spouse because I hate what this is going to do to you and to your family and all the people I love. I hate this. So guard your heart. Don't be unfaithful. Don't give her, don't give him a reason, an opportunity, a justification for divorce. Because I love you too much. It's like a father whose child has cancer. And he sees what the cancer is doing to his child. And he says, I hate cancer. He sees the destruction that it's doing to his own kid. God hates what divorce does to his kids. Hates it. There's lots of studies out there about divorce. And, and, and one says that 10 years after a divorce, 10 years after um, People still have anger issues, feelings of love and regret. Ten years, they're still suffering pain, emotional trauma from divorce. Do you know that 60% of all divorces involve children? There's a psychologist named, named Judith, Judith Wallerstein, and she did a study on children 
whose parents were divorced, and this was an extensive study. 18 months after the divorce, she interviewed these children, and then five years after she did, then 10 years, then 15 years, and then 25 years after the divorce, she, she concluded this study, and, and what she found was that even after 25 years, that the children continued to experience substantial expectations of failure, fear of loss, fear of change, fear of abandonment, fear of conflict. 25 years after their parents' divorce. Listen, God hates that. God hates that. How many of you know there's no such thing as a clean divorce? That when God takes two and makes them one, and then we try to separate that, that is going to get messy, right? Jonathan, could you help me for a sec? Come up and help for a sec. He's like, what did I do? So I've, I've, I've glued together two pieces of paper. Mm. Two pieces of paper have become one. Are you understanding the illustration? <laughs> I'm going to go Jonathan, I want you to divorce them. That is right. Okay. So I'd like, you to, I'd like you to separate. That sucks, but... Uh, I'd like you to separate that and... Yeah. yeah. These poor kids, they go through so much. Okay. <laughs> uh, good job. That's good. Keep going. She's about to take half. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there is the financial burden. You're right. I'm not even talking about that today. And that's. I don't think they can separate. Uh, You got to do it. You got to try. And please go faster. I'm getting hungry. I can rip it like down the middle if you do want. what you do what you gotta do, but you gotta separate it. Um, no, they're pretty glued. Okay, <laughs> okay, good job. Just throw it on the ground for me. All right, All right. thanks. Give him a hand. Thank you. All right, I knew I got the right guy. Um, <clears throat> but but this is what happens, right? This is what happens when we try to separate something that's been joined to become one by, by the Lord, okay, is that, is that it's, it's going to tear people up, the bottom line, right? Now, if, if adultery and abandonment are grounds for divorce, then they're also grounds for forgiveness, Okay? Now, please hear me today. I'm, I'm not flippantly saying you should just take the high road and get over it. Okay, I'm not saying that. Okay? Every situation is different. It, it's, it's absolutely wrong for us to paint the same brush over every marriage in every situation. We don't know the history of this couple. We don't know the conversations we've had. We don't know all the details. We don't know the heart of the unfaithful spouse. Are they repentant? Or are they just sorry that they got caught? Right? We don't know what God has been whispering in their hearts. 
right? So choosing to get divorced on biblical grounds is 100% between that person and God, and, and you or I in no way can judge that decision, okay? So God may call that person to reconcile. He may give them a piece to move on. But either way, how many of you agree that we need to seek God's approval first? Okay, we're talking about provisions for divorce, but, but not necessarily God's approval for divorce. But this is what I want to say. Whatever the choice, whatever the choice, God still calls us to forgive. That healing can't begin, begin until you choose to forgive. You can't move forward either way until you choose to forgive. That we, we're not going to be able to loose the, the foothold, the enemy's grip, until we forgive. Ephesians 4.27 says, Do not give the devil an opportunity to lead you into sin by holding a grudge or nurturing anger or harboring resentment or cultivating bitterness. And so I didn't actually plan on talking about forgiveness, but, but yesterday I just felt like, like God is saying that to someone specifically here today, uh, you need to seek forgiveness. That, that the reason you're frustrated and confused and angry, and it's because you need to forgive. That's going to be the difference. And that's hope for you today. That's hope for you. And so that process is going gonna, is gonna to be difficult. And that's like, you're, you're going you're gonna to likely have to make the decision to, to forgive every single day. But again, when God calls us to do something, he gives us the power and the grace to do it. What a God we serve. Amen? Amen. Amen. Now, this idea of biblical exceptions for divorce brings up yet other questions, right? So, so what happens for those who have divorced and now remarried, but the reasons they divorced were outside of those two provisions of divorce? Now what do we do? Right? Um, <clears throat> the number one cause of divorce um, is irreconcilable differences. That's not one of those two provisions, <laughs> right? What, what if someone got divorced because they couldn't get along, they, they fell out of love, they changed their mind, now they're remarried. Does God honor that new marriage? Should they get divorced again and try and reconcile with the first person they divorced with? Is that the solution? Um, I'm not trying to oversimplify this. It's going to sound like it when I say this, but... I think the answer is the same as, as when we drop an egg on the floor. When we drop an egg on the floor, we don't get on the floor, and we don't, we don't try and put the yolk back, and we don't try and put all the pieces back, do we? What do we do with that egg? We, we clean it up, and then we move on, right? We clean it up, and we move on. Okay, and I think the same goes with this situation. None of us can put Humpty Dumpty back together again. Okay, what is broken and done is broken and done. But what we can do is we can confess and repent and commit to the vows that we've made with this new person. We can clean it up and we can go forward. Does that sound okay? Yes. Clean it up and go forward. And for me, one of the best examples of this was, was Joshua with the Gibeonites. Remember when, 
when Israel was going into the promised land and, and they were just kicking everyone's butt. And the Gibeonites were afraid of Israel, so, so they made a, they made a, a, a prom, they, they wanted to make a vow with Joshua to protect them. Of course, Joshua didn't realize that they were lying to Joshua in this vow. Uh, but Joshua made this vow, even though they were lying, and even though Joshua didn't consult God on it. He didn't ask God what he should do in this situation. But after he found out that they were lying, what did Joshua do? He honored the vow. He honored the vow. So he didn't go into that covenant the right way, right? But, th- this, but he honored the vow. This, was, this is the significance and the importance of honoring vows. How many of you are so glad that our God honors his promises? Amen? Amen. And, and so I've asked um, Brenda and, and Gary if, if they would come forward. And, uh, and I've asked them to share their testimony and speak to this, this point. So I'm going to turn it over to them. Well, you know, I, I think that uh, I think that Brett has covered this category or this this topic very, very well. I think he's uh, within it, uh, within what you've spoken already, Brett. I think um, if if people knew the the det- details of our lives, they would think that you were talking directly about us. <laughs> but I'll give you a little bit of uh, a little bit of history here. Um, we were married 34 years ago, uh, in this month actually, but, uh, but before that, uh, we were both married to two other people, um, and, uh, and divorced by the time we, we met, uh, in 1988. <laughs> She's the one with the dates. <laughs> so, um, we... We, uh, we really didn't have understanding of, of the, the scriptural um, background for, for divorce or, or remarriage. We met. Um, we, we had uh, a, a very strong uh, attraction to one another. And uh, within, a, within a year, we were married. And uh, we, we were... Uh, Involved in church, we uh, we became more and more uh, understanding of Scripture because uh, we got involved in, in uh, Bible studies. Um, I had been saved earlier, but really hadn't. Uh, like I said, I still didn't have any real understanding of the Scripture. Um, Brenda got saved, and then yeah, and yeah, and then. Um, I'm not sure exactly how long after we were married. We, we really became um, something that, that kind of seeped into our understanding about divorce and just what it really um, was. And what Brett shared about divorce itself being as though it's a personality, it's, it's, a, it's a thing, it's a person, you know, that, that attacks people. 
Um, I can testify to that. It's, uh, it is, I think, you know, a, one of the demonic principalities that, that Satan wields as a weapon against us to, to harm and to destroy. He, he hates uh, marriage and he, because it's so uh, godly, <laughs> you know, and that, uh, that aspect of, of divorce that causes us to be torn apart, that, that was an excellent uh, analogy, the paper. The, the pain involved, I mean, if any of you is con- ever considering divorce, consider this first. It's going to cost you everything. You know, it's you're gonna you're 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 gonna be a, a heap of of quivering flesh before it's over, because it's 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 more painful than you can imagine. Um, but but I think when we when we did realize what was um, sort of still around, like there, that spiritual thing was still trying to attack us in our marriage, in our young marriage. And um, eventually, I believe, we came to the place where we could say whether we had justification, you know, scripturally or not, we found ourselves as divorced people, having been divorced, um, out of God's will. You know, that wasn't his intention for our initial marriages. It was not his intention for us. For anyone, yeah. And so we felt that in that sense it's sin. And so we repented of it before him and gave him um, just our, our, you know, (laughs) guilty selves to fix, so to speak. And uh, and since then, I mean, we've had issues certainly in our life. It's not uh, a matter of that we never disagree about anything or that kind of thing. But but when it's something of importance, and when it's something she just doesn't understand, (laughs) no, please forgive me that. But uh, no, when it's when it's uh, something that we can't seem to resolve. We now know to take it to Jesus. And, you know, we go in prayer to Jesus, and uh, it's like, uh, (laughs) it's gone, you know? Um, And so, um, you you wanted to read a scripture, right? Oh, right now? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I think, too, um, the more... You put Jesus in your life first. You will have you will have um, the peace. You can fight that spirit. And um, what I'll go back to where Gary was a bit. We did. I I know myself. I would get conflicted about you know, like you said, the religious church or the church wanting saying that this is not. You know, divorce is not good. We shouldn't remarry, and all this. and And it took me a while to kind of understand. And um, the scriptures you shared, Brett, were kind of were right on. Those were the we had those two, those first two legitimate reasons legally. And now I feel spiritually that was the reasons. And um, <clears throat> excuse me. 
so after, like I said, after much prayer and we've, in our marriage, because we got saved um, so close to, I believe this is part of it, we got saved basically in the 90s when, when God moved in a revival in, our, in the world, like through Toronto and that. But I believe this revival coming up, this revival that we're calling for, that we want to happen in our lives and in our hearts, starts in yourself. It starts in yourself. It starts in your marriage. starts in your family. And if it's not, you know, that's, that's what will trigger it. That's what will bring it to fruition in our church. You know, and so the one scripture that actually he just spoke to me this morning, which I think sums it up for us, is from Psalms 51:17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. And I feel that's, I, I, I believe that he's speaking of humbleness. He's speaking of um, repentance. He's speaking of humility. And that's what we um, go to if we ever get this thing coming at us again. But um, it is, I want to confer with Gary, it is us. A divorce is a spirit. I, I believe that's one reason God hates it. Because as a spirit, it wants to kill family. It wants to destroy people because marriage as you look at in the Bible, is, is a covenant with God. And if we, if we kind of destroy that covenant, you know, God, um, he, he hates that because it's giving the enemy power. And so we weren't aware of any of those things before. And, and as we have grown together because we got saved together and as we grew into the things of the Lord together... Um, it all became clear what what we um, okay. It all became clear of what we had to go forward and do. You know, like if we want to serve the Lord and we want to go forward and we want to be the people that He's calling us to be. Which, and I mean, the hardest thing was the the tearing of our children. We have between us. We had we had four children, and then. When we got married, we had another, we had Sarah. And Sarah luckily didn't reap the full disasters of divorce, but she did in her own way with her, with her siblings and with relationships that just didn't happen. You know, like she, um, our daughter that just died last year, we, none of us out here really had a relationship with her because that was torn away because of the divorce. She, she went into a, a very dark place. And the other ones did come out and accepted the Lord and have come to their own place. But anyway, that's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay, I just want to, I, I just want to pray now, please. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your goodness and your mercy, Lord God, that you love your people. Lord God, no matter what, what we do, we can come to you with a, with a forgiving and a contrite heart and just 
um, and just call on you, Lord God, and you will, you will forgive us, Lord God. So I just want to speak right now to that spirit of divorce, and I say, get out of this place. You back off from God's people. If that is coming at you in some way, you've got to learn, just as, as Brett said, to guard your heart. We have to, we have to break that off and say, get out of our lives now in the name of Jesus. The, the, even to speak the word can allow, it can allow that spirit just to come in. So guard your mouth, guard your heart. We, we've learned through experience that, that we cannot speak that word. And it comes very easily to people who have been divorced and remarried. So guard your heart. So we just break that off of every one of you now in the name of Jesus. We speak life. We speak wholeness. We speak a renewal. Marriages can be renewed and restored. And that, Father, you would bring your love to your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Yeah. We can clap for them. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Thank you so much for your vulnerability and your humility. I appreciate that so much. Um, I think I'd like that to be the last thing that we do today. So um, our worship team is going to come forward. And, and so we always end our service with a song. Sometimes we dismiss before. Sometimes we dismiss after. I'm going to dismiss us right now. But if you'd like to stay and, and you feel you need to respond, our prayer team is going to be at the front here. And, you know, when we talk about some of these things, maybe, maybe you're a child of, of uh, divorced parents or, or maybe, you know, Maybe there's just some feelings or, or some things that are coming, maybe feelings of fear or abandonment, or maybe the enemy is, is lying to you. Uh, whatever it is, I just want to invite you to come forward. Know that our prayer team is here to pray for you, pray with you. And, uh, of course, you can receive prayer today if it's nothing to do with divorce as well. So, so just whatever, uh, whatever, whatever. Uh, Whatever you need today, our prayer team is going to be here. Uh, but we are dismissed. For those of you, though, who would like to stay and just linger and just respond, I want you to feel free to do that. So the rest of us, we're going we're gonna to go and chat out in the foyer. And, uh, and uh, growth track is starting uh, in about 15 minutes, okay? All right, God bless everyone. We're dismissed. <laughs>